Hi, this is Michael Waits, and welcome back to the Asia InsureTech podcast. This is the only podcast in Asia focused on insurance that gives entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and investors a platform to discuss how technology is reshaping the insurance industry in Asia. This episode of the Asia InsureTech podcast is brought to you by Uncharted. In this rapidly changing environment, the ability to operate your business online is mission critical. Powered by Uncharted's core insurance and distribution platform, carriers and brokers now have the ability to launch new distribution channels in a matter of weeks and any product through any channel in any market in just days. Days. That's kind of cool, yeah? If your core insurance technology isn't providing your business with an enduring competitive experience, visit www.uncharted.global or email info at uncharted.global to speak to the team today. Thank you again to Uncharted for supporting Asia InsureTech podcast. Let's get back to the show. Today, I'm joined by Michael Lovegrove, the founder and chief executive officer at Journey. Michael, it's great to have you on the show. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing very well, Michael. And th- yeah, thank you very much for having me today. Oh, it's, it's our pleasure. Look, you're like one of our first few returning guests. You did a panel for us, I think, sometime last year, earlier this year. So we really appreciate you coming back. Thank you for doing that. No, no worries at all. I had a, I had a great time with Teresa actually in person at the, it was at the Singapore FinTech Festival yeah. that I recorded that first episode. I thought it was a great platform and, and was really looking forward to contributing again. Thank you very much. Look, let's just jump right in. What do you think is the biggest trend in InsureTech in Asia right now? Uh, right now is a different answer to what I would have given four weeks ago, or actually it's the, it's the same answer, but on steroids. And that is digitization and making it really accessible to do everything digitally. You know, in Asia, you have a large portion of the, and I'm, I'm talking specifically around distribution at the moment. Yeah. You have a, I believe it's around 80%, 80, 90% of all policies are distributed via an agent or advisor network. Yeah. And those advisors and agents rely on an in-person an in-person relationship to, to one, attract the customer and two, to sell the right policy to them. But at the moment, it's almost impossible to meet with a potential customer or current customer in person. So we need these digital tools to allow the advisors, to allow agents to interact with a customer in a digital setting. And I think that's the right here, right now, that is the main thing that insurers need to be working on in order to make sure that their products end up in the hands of the right person. Yeah, I, I get it completely. Look, I want to come back to that in a second, but can you just give us a little bit of your background so the listeners can have some context? Yeah, as you said earlier, I'm the founder and CEO at a company called Journey, and we're on a mission to reduce the underinsured population. The world is about $1.2 trillion underinsured. So at Journey, we're on a mission to reduce that. And how we reduce that or how we are reducing that at the moment is by working with current insurance providers to protect people better. And we're doing that by making insurance as, or the the insurance interaction as simple and easy as it's ever been. And we do that through our customer journey platform. So why is that protection gap so large? And I guess the flip side of that question is why is penetration so low? There's probably two main reasons there. The first thing is people just don't get what type of insurance they need. Right. They, it's confusing on the, to insurers or to people working in insurance companies, to insure techs, insurance isn't confusing because we've spent a bunch of time studying it or interacting with it, buying it, selling it. And 
it makes sense. But to the majority, it's not. It's quite a confusing product. They're not too sure what type of insurance they need. They don't know what cover they need. If you talk about indemnity or liability insurance, people sort of you know look at you sideways. They're not too sure what you're talking about. So that's the that's the first thing that it, uh, contributes to the underinsured population or underinsured figure is that people don't understand insurance. It's confusing. Information isn't readily accessible. And the second reason is, is the accessibility. So, okay, even if you do understand what type of insurance you need, going about buying that insurance or changing your insurance as your life circumstances change, both of those are really difficult at the moment. And that's because of how our products are distributed in a way that is either via people or it's via terrible digital experiences. And so if we're able to correct both of those problems, if we're able to make sure that information is readily accessible and people actually understand what type of insurance they need and they can get it in, um, get it at their fingertips. So say it's via a really well-designed mobile experience, then what, we, what we'll see is that underinsured figure start to reduce. But we have to have both of those things in place because what that gives you is it gives the customer reassurance that they're that they're able to that they're buying the right thing and they're going to be protected when the unthinkable happens. Right. Like it's happening now. Exactly. So it seems to me like there's a big education aspect to this. In other words, there's a lot of things that people don't know about insurance, particularly in this region. I'm curious, out of that 1.2 trillion, how much do you think of that is in Asia? And let's leave China out because China's kind of its own market, at least in my mind, yeah? Yeah, I mean, I can't give you an exact figure because of the developing, um, yeah, there's, a, there's a number of developing countries and a lot, of, a lot of them just don't have access to an advisor or to a desktop computer. And so right. they don't even think about getting insurance because it'd be, yeah, that's, that's the last thing on their mind. People don't wake up in the morning and think, yes, today I'd love to be able to buy an insurance policy. They, they just simply don't think like that. And so there's a, a really massive like underinsured population throughout, let's say Southeast Asia. There's Most people probably are underinsured because they just don't understand the product. They can't access the right people and, and therefore they don't, have the, they don't have the cover that they need. So what is that experience that you're changing, right? You said earlier, you want to have a really smooth and kind of seamless mobile experience. Mobile phone penetration, not just in, not just in Asia, but in Southeast Asia in particular, is super high and still growing, right? I mean, I think in yeah. Thailand, it's, it's over 100%. But yeah. what is it about the new experience that you're building that kind of removes this, what's the thing that people like to say, insurance is sold, not bought, that changes, that flips yeah. that around and lets people say, wait a second, this is so easy for me to do. And I know that I have some risk coming up and there's a product on my phone that I can use to buy it. How do you change that? Well, I think for starters, you have to personalize this. So you're not, you don't have an interaction that's one size fits all. And we've done that via creating conversational models. So what that means is as a consumer, you can interact with Alto and you will be able to understand what type of insurance you need based on who you are. And that is reassured by what other people are also doing. So you're able to know that this is the type of insurance that is meant for me and people similar to me are buying this, that and the other. 
And by doing that through a mobile-first approach, you're suddenly able to access people everywhere, really, because mobile is the first thing that they have. Like People don't all uh, have desktop computers, and so we see these digital experiences, which are for a desktop. Unfortunately, people aren't looking for insurance via their desktop. They are they're first and foremost searching via their mobile phone. And and in order to optimize for I know it's, it's funny, right? Because like these this is you can look at the statistics of people searching for insurance and it's majority comes from a mobile, yet people still build a desktop site. Right. And on a mobile phone, you obviously have way less space. Uh, so you need to have the information there for the, that particular consumer or customer but you don't want to have needless information there. You want to have contextual information there. So information that they are specifically looking for, not just anybody. And by deploying a, we, we sometimes refer to it as an artificially intelligent insurance agent. So by deploying something that almost mimics what a human would do, gather the right information from the individual, then present the options. We do that through technology. You make such a great point. I've been in Asia for 30 years. And, you know, I was there when Docomo came out with the first really mobile internet. And it's always been fascinating for me to go onto the mobile internet and only have a desktop experience. Right? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I'm trying to do travel, I'm trying to buy something. And it's like, this is only workable if I have a keyboard and a screen that's 13 inches or bigger. I don't understand why people aren't building this. And what you're saying is you're doing the opposite. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's kind of backwards. Like, even if you look at, if you've just bought a vehicle, you bought a car. Right. You are not behind a computer. You no. are probably in someone's backyard yeah. or in someone's driveway or you're at a car yard. And what you have access to is the thing in your pocket, which is your phone. And you don't want to drive off that lot without insurance. Um, and so you need a mobile first approach. So it just baffles me when organizations start with a desktop and then try to optimize for mobile. You should really be doing it the other way around. Well, you know this from your position, but we see this a lot in Southeast Asia. You can literally ask people outside of the big cities, are you connected to the internet? And they'll say no. Yeah. Because to them, the internet, like you, like you said earlier, is just that laptop or desktop with a keyboard and a big screen. But you can ask them other questions like, how do you search for information? And they look at you like you're crazy because they say, Google. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like they, they don't think they're connected to the internet, but they are because to them, it's not the same thing. But mobile is the first way that most people in this region get connected to data and information. And if you're not building something that's bespoke for mobile, you're building something that no one's going to end up using in the end, I think. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, there are these big incumbent insurers out there. And for the longest period of time, they were thinking, you know, we have all the knowledge and we should be doing the full entire stack of insurance. But what do you think are the types of things that these big insurers shouldn't be doing? In other words, like what are their core competencies? And then where do InsurTech step in and add the value? Distribution surely is one of the biggest ones, but where else do you think? Insurers are the size that they are for a reason. Yeah. And they are they are great at manufacturing an insurance product. You're making sure that they are writing the adequate risk into right. pricing model, for example. What they're not good at is creating a, a digital experience. Um, and that's across the board. So that's where I, I, I personally believe that they absolutely need to partner. It's on that that customer interaction. Now, I'm obviously going to be very biased about that because we've created a insurance customer journey platform, but we did that because we saw a need across the, the whole industry. You know, it is a product that the world fundamentally needs, um, that every single person needs. And it's an industry that's also lagging significantly behind 
almost every other industry in the world when it comes to a digital uh, customer experience. And so that's where I think insurers need to focus. It's okay, so you have, let's say you have four key customer journeys that a, a customer will go through with you. You have your uh, quote and bind, you have a uh, your policy management, you have mm-hmm. your renewal and you have your claim. And each one of those, there's various insurer or insure tech players which can help an insurer make sure that that one, their, their product is distributed in the most effective and customer-centric way and that that policy can be changed and manipulated by the customer at the time that the customer wants to do so and then also uh, can make a, a seamless claim experience. And those are the um, places where I think insurers absolutely need to be collaborating rather than trying to build themselves. And this is often the, the question that we get from, from insurers is, you know, we could partner or we could build, or they usually refer to it as either buy or build. Right. And in and, and so many cases, it just doesn't make any sense for them to, to build it themselves because one, it's going to, it's going to cost them, you know, 10 times as much. And that's no exaggeration. No. And it's going to take them, you know, two, three, four years to build the thing that already exists today. And so they're going to be slower to market. It's going to cost them more. And because of that lack of speed, they're also going to lose the opportunity that's currently in front of them. This whole concept of alternative forms of distribution, obviously you've heard me speak about this before is just fascinating for me, right? And even when I was back at Goldman Sachs, we used to talk a lot about, you know, building sort of fault tolerant technology. And the question was always, again, do we buy it or do we build it internally? Internally, you just have so many fiefdoms and so many sort of legacy systems that it's hard to get people interested in building new things necessarily. And you're right. You can have to change the allocation of resources on a battleship as opposed to on like a catamaran. And it's just so much easier if you're smaller to change the allocation of resources, not because they're bad or don't know what they're doing, just because that's the way big organizations work, I think. And also, you get to build at scale because you're not just building for you, you're building for the entire industry. So you can actually build a better product in a way, I think. Yeah, and that's the that's the whole argument for a SaaS tool is that you know you you pay you're you're paying a small percentage of the actual overall cost, right. and you're benefiting from everything else that other people are spending. But yeah, I think like internally, when it comes to if they, if they do try and build themselves, they do hit bureaucracy, they hit internal politics that come into play. They can't be against yeah people saying, oh no, I don't think we should do it this way, and everyone suddenly has an opinion on how to do something and then they end up doing you know having a lot of conversation but not actually doing anything for 18 months um when they could have in that period of time launched tested and scaled a insure tech solution to help them with that particular problem that they had yeah and also in inside your company how many people are are in journey uh, so we have 14 full-time uh, at the moment yeah but so just think about it for a decision to get made for you and your team, someone just has to come up with a new idea and say, hey, Michael, don't you think we should be doing this or whoever the product manager is? And literally that moment, they could say, yeah, even if you'd already been building something else that you guys thought was the holy grail and it turned out it wasn't, you could still just like switch directions and say, we should go do that. Whereas externally, it's just almost impossible because once you have you know, a team of 25, some people in London, some people in Paris, some people in New York building something. It's like getting them to change and actually having them have the skill set to change is almost impossible for me. That's what I've seen at least. 
Yeah, absolutely. Like, just a order of magnitude of, of how many people you have to get across the line to buy into a particular idea by the time everyone's bought and the opportunity's gone. Yeah, exactly. So you talked a little bit earlier about how distribution is changing now, and you said it's on steroids. I'm presuming this coronavirus has had multiple impacts on you, but how do you think it will change the distribution funnel going forward? In other words, is it really going to accelerate agent, the 80 to 90% agents, to who knows? Yeah, I think all non, or I should say simplistic insurance product and simplistic cover will be done autonomously online. And you, a consumer can go go to a particular tool and find out what type of insurance they need and buy that insurance on the spot as well as manage that policy in that particular portal or tool, whatever you want to refer to it as. Right, right, right. For anything that's more complex, then there'll be a need for an advisor, a broker, an agent to intervene and help that person through that process. So if you're looking at the higher end of town where you're a company, maybe you're a, your business is 20 employees plus, mm-hmm. you're probably going to want some form of advisor to help you out because there's a number of different insurance products that you may need. But if you're anything, if you're a small business, if you're a consumer, then you should be able to self-serve. It's going to be far more cost-effective for you. It's going to be far more uh, time efficient for you. And it's going to be more effective and efficient for for the advisor and the insurer as well. Because I mean, an advisor doesn't make their money on simple cases. They make them on complex ones and they don't want to be spending a bunch of time on with someone who who should be able to buy online. Um, So everybody really wins by taking that approach. Right. So it's always been my view, whether it's in investment banking, financial services, insurance, financial services, traditional banking, financial services, that technology was going to be supplemental, almost like creating a superpower for great agents and great salespeople and eliminating the necessity for kind of marginal salespeople because they're only selling those simplistic products as you sell. And as you get become more sophisticated, you can offlay the simple products onto tech and then make higher margins on the more sophisticated products because it really requires some face, not even face-to-face, but just some human interaction and some back and forth, right? Yeah, exactly. Like I 100% agree with everything you just said, Mother. <laughs> yeah, that's what it always seemed like to me. Because a lot of people talk about, you know, the agent job is going to go away because technology will disintermediate it. And that's not really true. I think it's going to take the marginal agents away because maybe, maybe they shouldn't have been doing it anyway. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. And, and I think that, you know, if you are a if you are a good agent, you want to be working on more complex problems. You don't want to be filling in paperwork for paperwork's sake. Like that's boring. Very. Um, very. And, and so, so, so let something digital do that for you. And I mean, in, in many cases, like one through our solution, uh, you know, a particular advisor maybe they have five hundred customers. Let's just go with that for now. And right. four hundred of them are simple cases, and one hundred of them are complex cases. Those 400, if they are self-serving and buying online through the tool, but you are the associated advisor or agent, Win. you're still going to get a commission. It's Win. just going to be much lower. Yeah. And and then you have your you have way more time to focus on those 100 complex customers who you're going to make a way larger margin from who actually need your help and you're going to have more interest or more fun while doing so. So let me make an equivalency for you. We did this in the portfolio trading business 15 years ago. What did we do? We used a fixed connection to a client who could send an automated trade into an algorithm automatically, and we just managed it and watched it for them. And for their super sophisticated trades where the margins were much higher, they called 
a portfolio trading sales trader and said, what am I supposed to do with this? It's a two-sided trade where they're buying and selling multiple stocks. And we, we gave advice. And then we executed that trade along with the client because we got paid way more to do that. And the simplistic trades, they just did by themselves. So we disintermediated yeah. that interaction out of it. And the same thing is happening in the insurance industry. That's what it looks like to me or should be happening at least, yeah? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the other things that you talked about earlier was transparency. It seems a word that you like to use. So which aspects of this business are not so transparent and how does like journey fix that? Well, I think to start with, when you go and purchase a policy, you're never too sure what you're covered for. That's the general sentiment we see from consumers at the moment. And when it comes to claim time, a consumer and this is by the research that we've done a consumer thinks they're going to be insured for a particular um, adverse event and but they're actually not or vice versa and what that does is it destroys trust with customers and consumers okay and it's across the industry so not it won't just affect that particular insurer and their business it'll affect all insurers business because you know consumers lump insurers together as being uh, not necessarily a trusted entity and that's because there's no no transparency up front. Now, I believe that the, the reason why there still isn't that transparency is, you know, 300 years ago, we didn't have computers. We didn't have a digital means to communicate with people. And so insurers did need advisors and agents to front, um, to front their business and to be the ones that would explain an insurance policy to an individual. And that worked really well. But now is a different case. We actually need to show the customer who's bought a policy what it is they're, they're covered for and lay it out and spell it out for them when they're buying. And that's one of the things that we really focus on at Journey is when someone's going through that, that buyer journey that they know exactly what they're covered for and what they're not going to be covered for. And we do that, like we just apply really good user experience principles to that. So when it comes to claim time, this person already knows exactly what whether whether they are going to be covered for the claim that they're putting on or not. So you end up having a far higher percentage of claims approved because you're only only having uh, people are only submitting claims because they know that they are going to be covered for them. And then you're going to have a higher um, NPS score because again, the, the customer actually knows that they're going to be covered for this because they, they ensure it was transparent to begin with. Yeah, I mean, imagine going into a gas station with your car, right? And saying, fill it up with whatever. And the guy goes, oh, that, that, that gas doesn't work with your car. And you're like, what do I need to do? Go to another, like, I thought it did. That's what I was told. I just remember when yeah. I worked at a big corporation and, you know, they provided insurance for me and I literally had no idea what it covered. And I wasn't yeah. even paying. It was just insanity. I want to talk a little bit about the significance of partnerships you have with big companies. I think it was sort of in the last quarter of last year, you announced a partnership with NTUC income, right? Yes. So I'm sure you've done that and done others, but what is the significance of having these types of partnerships? We're very driven by our mission. Um, We're a a mission focused company. And what we found with income was that they are driven by the same thing to reduce that underinsured figure and make sure that insurance is more accessible, that their agents have a better experience or, you know, enjoy their jobs more so and their customers really have a great experience when dealing with income. Makes sense. And whenever we go into a partnership discussion and we, we don't refer to our, I say we have customers, but we refer to them as partners because it's a much 
you know, we're looking for a, like a long-term, we're looking for long-term success with these insurers. And that's what we always look for from a starting point is we need to be aligned on a mission level. We need to be here because we want to make this experience far better than it's ever been before because people need insurance. And you want to work with people who genuinely believe that. Yeah. Um, if it's, if they're wanting to work with us just from a commercial perspective or they're wanting to work with us just because they want to cut costs, just it's not going to, or because maybe they just want to play with new technology. Like that's not going to, that's not going to set the a partnership for long-term success. Not really. um, so I think being aligned on a mission level is really key. And with income, that's exactly how they came to the table. They were, they really wanted to, to solve a problem. Yeah. I mean, if you're not mission aligned, it's almost never going to work long-term. That's just straight, yeah, exactly. up, straight up, right? Okay. Look, I've taken up a lot of your time. I just want to ask you one more question and then I'll let you go. What kind of recommendations do you have for big insurance companies? So if you'd go to, to go to them and give them a recommendation to say, here's how you can work better with smaller, more nimble companies like Journey, what, what kind of advice would you give them? I think they need a change the process by which they engage with um, with insurtechs you don't want to take six to 12 months of an insurtech's time to explore an idea you want to be able to explore that potential partnership in a matter of weeks and then give a go or no go within that time frame and that's like unheard of territory for for insurers but if you get that right then you're going to be much faster to market with these solutions. You're also not going to waste the time of the insurtech. And I don't want to come across as though an insurer's time is not valuable. The six to 12 months of time for an insurtech that is a, you know, they are, they are racing against time is far more, uh, it's far more prudent for the insurtech to get their time or to spend their time in the appropriate places than it is for the insurer. And, and if you want the insurer tech to be around at a later point in time, you need to be able to deal with them really quickly. Right. Um, and that's just going to make the whole industry continually improve and get better if insurers can improve their processes by which they engage with insurtechs. That's really awesome advice. Michael Lovegrove, the founder and chief executive officer at Journey. Today was awesome. I really appreciate you doing this. No, no worries at all. Thank you for, thank you for having me on the show.